Welcome to this episode of Christ I. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ I. To start this fifth episode, I would like to read from Psalm 5, reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Psalm 5, for the choir director with the flutes, a psalm of David. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I plead my cause to you and watch expectantly. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Because of my adversaries, make your way straight before me. For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them, and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks be to God for the reading of your word. Oh God, we come now before you and humble ourselves. We ask that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness as we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, with all our strength, with all our soul, and with all our might. We have not loved our neighbors, ourselves, as often as we should. And Father, we confess that we are weak and without Jesus we can do nothing for he is the vine we are the branches and you are the vine dresser father father prune us and make us into the likeness of Christ that we may walk in a manner worthy of your praise and your glory that we may glorify you in all that we say do and think that we reverence you a mighty mighty majesty God that you are holy help us to have a posture of meekness and humility before you that we may honor you in all that we say and do and Father now as I Go into this podcast. Please take me as 
away, and may it be Christ in me and through me to glorify you in what is said in this podcast. Thank you, Jesus, that you have died on the cross for our sins, that you have made a way for us to come before God to his holy throne and call him Father. Christ, I. In the last episode, we read in John 11 the events of Lazarus being raised from the dead and all the things that were encompassed about that event. And in contemplating that whole episode and rereading that those events in the lives of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and the disciples, what Jesus was teaching in all of that, it came to my mind that it has been said of of God that He is the great weaver of a tapestry in which on this side of glory we see the backside of all the twistings and twinings of the uh, all the threads that are twisted together and the knots and none of it makes sense and we can't see the picture for what it is. But God sees from the other side, the front side of the tapestry, is the beautiful picture of our lives. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought, I was thinking, well, what are the tools of a weaver? And so I went online and I looked up and I found a, Eight essential weaving tools every beginner should have to hand. One, a loom. A loom provides you with the framework for your weave. It is threaded with the warp so that you can weave through the different colors and types of filling such as yarn. Number two, warp. Warp is the thread which run up and down your loom. We have found that the best fiber for warp thread is cotton. It's soft and pliable, yet sturdy and strong with no stretch. The warp can be any color you choose. As you practice, try experimenting the different colors to see the interesting effects they can have. Number three, weft. Weft is the yarn, wools, rovings, fabric scraps, ribbon, etc. that you use to weave through the warp. Left and right, and right to left to create your woven finish. Then you have the shuttles. A shuttle is used to hold your working together, your working length of weft while you're weaving bigger sections. You can warp plenty of weft around your shuttle using a figure eight method so that your weft sits on the sides of your shuttle, enabling it to easily fit through your warp threads. 
It's a tool that you use to bring your weft through your warp. And then you have a comb. Each time you complete a line of weaving, use a comb to push and beat down your weft so that it fits snugly against the previous line. This will prevent you from getting gaps in your weaving, unless you're intentionally leaving a gap. Six, the next tool is a tapestry needle. Use a tapestry needle which is straight with a large eye and a blunt tip to weave your weft through your loom. The large eye of the needle allows you to use a wide range of yarns with different weights or thicknesses and is perfect for smaller, more detailed sections of your weaving. And then you have a shed stick or a smooth-edged ruler, a piece of card or a dowel. A shed stick is useful in several ways. Firstly, a shed stick can be woven along the bottom of your loom before starting a weaving to create a good foundation onto which you can push down your weaving stitches. It also helps to keep the weaving nice and straight. A piece of card is perfect for this purpose. Secondly, the shed stick can be woven into your warp turned on its side and in so doing, make a space for your roving of yarn to easily be woven through the warp without getting tangled up. You need a pair of scissors to cut your warp when you want to change to a different weave. So those are some tools that you need. And as I was thinking that and I was comparing that to how God, if He is weaving a tapestry for our lives, what are the different tools? The loom represents our situations in life. The warp is Jesus. It's threaded through the situation and without it we can't weave. The weft is the trials and tribulations that God allows into our life that weave into the warp. And the shuttles are the different tools, different people or, or situations that he uses to make our weave consistent. And then the comb. Those other, those would be the believers that come alongside us and make sure that we're we're tight and and stay in the word and stay close so that there are no gaps in our faith. So you see, I want to focus on the warp though, which is the string, the cotton string that runs up and down on our loom. For without it, we can not be woven. And that is what Jesus is in our lives.
He's the sustainer. He's the that which holds it all together. Because if He's not in our life and if He's not holding us, holding all things together in our lives, then our lives will be just nothing but a mess of weft with no function, no consistency, no beauty. Just a bald mess of thread. I was particularly interested in Jesus, who was about two days' journey from the town of Mary, as it's described in the text because in chapter 10 in verse 40 it says and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first and there he stayed then many came to him and said John performed no sign but all the things that John spoke about this man were true and many believed in him there. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It's interesting that he calls the town of Mary and her sister Martha. To me, that seems that Mary was a very popular person. You know, one of those people that we all know that everybody knows. That in some way she's touched their li- somebody's life. You have those people in our lives. They just seem to know everybody and everybody seems to know them. And you wonder, well the reason why is because they purposely tend to get involved in our li- in lives. They're helpers, they're doers, they're encouragers. There are people that seem to be having everything just goes their way. And yet here it comes. Her brother is sick. And of course they send for Jesus. Because they believe he's the Messiah and he can do all things. They're thinking, oh, Jesus loves Lazarus. He'll help him. So they send someone to go and tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. The one you love is sick. Now it's a two-day journey. So Lazarus gets sick. sick. Two days later, a, a kid shows up to Jesus and tells him, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. In verse 3. In verse 4, Jesus heard that. He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, already Jesus knew what the purpose of this was. He's already understood that 
there's a reason for what's fixing to happen. You see, remember, Jesus is in his humanity has given up his deity in, the, in a sense that he's not a fortune teller. He doesn't know the future. He just knows that his father is working through him. And he has the Holy Spirit to help him to, to guide him and to help him understand that he's not saying that Lazarus is not going to die. He's saying that his death is to glorify God. So Jesus, and then the text says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Jesus, you love Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Why didn't you go and be at their side in their time of need? Why didn't you immediately jump up and say, let's go? I mean, some could say that, well, Jesus must be apprehensive because, after all, they did try to stone him about a month earlier. You know, here we are on the outside looking at the backside of that tapestry thinking, wow, this is a mess. Martha and Mary are probably back there in Bethany waiting for Jesus to come. So if it took the guy two days to be there, then in, in two more days, Jesus would be there, be back with them. Two days go by, and Lazarus must have been getting worse. And think of Lazarus sitting there thinking, oh, surely his sisters have told him that we've sent for Jesus. They have, they've all seen what Jesus can do. I mean... When Jesus did come and he comes and then Martha meets him and the first thing Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the res resurrection and at that last day. Well, where did Martha get that from? How did Martha know about that? Well, we go all the way back to John in chapter 6, we have to see where, G, where that context comes from. Just start reading in verse 35, in John 6, 35, from the Christian Standard Bible, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 
And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Surely, Martha was there when Jesus said that. And she's remembering that. And she believes that. And this was, he says this right after coming across from the boat from the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he walks on the water. And in chapter 6, verse 26, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the, the loaves and were filled. Do not mar labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set him his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent in him who he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. My goodness, guys. Jesus has just fed you from a couple of small fishes and some loaves of bread. He fed over 5,000. And yet they're still looking for signs to they want to eat. And that's why he said to them, you're, you're seeking me because you saw this, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves. He just told them that. And they went back to, what sign will you give us? And then he goes into the discourse of eating his body and his drinking his blood. In verse 32, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. Moses didn't give them that bread. God did. And they're looking at Moses. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're still seeking for something that they know not of. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Well, they didn't get it, needless to say. Because the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread that which comes down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And that's where I think we are sometimes. We are so familiar with Jesus 
that we forget who he really is. And I think that that's where Martha was when she met him on the road there. And she said, Lord, if you had only been there, my brother would not have died. She believes he's the Messiah. She believes that he can ask of God anything. In her heart is that. But in her desire to have her brother back, in her seeking for joy, the joy of her brother, brother's companionship and life, she misses the joy of Jesus. She misses the purpose for His being. And I think we too, in our times of trouble and despair, our anxiety, we, we know who Jesus is. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We've seen His works in our lives and in the lives of others. We've seen people come to Christ and glorious things happen in their lives. We've seen things in our own lives, the changes in our own lives. But yet sometimes we're so familiar with Jesus that we forget who He really is. And that His joy is to do the will of His Father. And we should do the same. See, we can go and wash feet all day long. But if we don't have joy, the joy of Jesus, then we're just stuck with a bunch of foot water. So let us find the joy of Jesus in all of our situations. Let us remember that the tapestry that's being woven in our lives is not for us to see right now, but that God sees it. And that our joy set before us should be the joy that we like Jesus, seek for God's glory. Sometimes God has to use us in ways that we don't like. Surely Lazarus, had he given him a choice, would not have wanted to die and then be risen again. And because he has to die again. But that's, what Jesus, that's how God chose to glorify Himself and used Lazarus for His glory. 
just goes on to say in Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, For consider Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have, for, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit our even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what we seemed good to them. But He, God, does it for our benefit so that we can share His holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Let us encourage one another to joy in Jesus. May this be true of our lives from this day forth. In Jesus' name, amen.